Scripture reading comes from Psalm 34. I invite you to turn there and follow along with me. I'll read, uh, start in verse 1 and go to verse 10. Hear God's word this morning. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. The word of the Lord. Be to God. Let's pray. Lord, as your word is open, we pray that you would open our hearts. Father, I want to pray for a couple of people. I want to pray, and we want to pray for Bill McDonald and for Joe Lawrence who at this very moment are, are struggling with cancer. They've been through a very deep valley. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness in their lives, and we pray that you would heal them. And we pray that we would be able to learn from their journey. But Lord, each of us are in different places in our lives, and you have us all on a, a journey. And there are very deep places as well as high places. And Father, we pray this morning that you would use the words of King David, that you would use the passion of his heart to, to remind us of your faithfulness and, and to ignite a deep desire for worship as a lifestyle. And Lord, we pray that you would bless your people through your word, even now, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start by uh, asking this question. When was the last time you were obsessed with something? You were kind of consumed with something. I mean, maybe the answer is this morning. You know, maybe the answer is this week. I mean, that's kind of the way our hearts are. We get, have lots of desire for, for things and, and we get a little obsessed with things. Uh, I guess when I say obsessed, it's not just something you kind of want, but maybe it would be something that you just have to have. You know, and not only do you have to have it to, to qualify for, for an obsession, it'd, be, it'd have to be something you really thought about a lot. You know, you're in your car driving and there it is. Because it means something to you at a, at a heart level or you're, you're at work and there it is because it means something to you at, at a heart level. Uh, what is it? That, that you might be obsessed with this morning. You know, for, for some guys or gals, you know, you're obsessed with the next thing you're going to buy. And when, until I get it, I'm just going to think about it, think about it, you know, whether that's an iPad or a car. You know, it doesn't matter what it is. Um, you know, for some of you young people, it could very well be uh, a, a girl or a boy. 
you know, and you, and, and you d- deeply want a relationship with this person, and you imagine what that relationship might bring into your life, and so you're, you're just constantly thinking uh, about this. Uh, for others, it might be a, a social set. You know, if I, could just, if I could just get with these people and, you know, they would make me feel better about myself. I, I'm, I'm, I'm being told that I need these people to, to be okay. And so you're just kind of in the back of your mind saying, what do I have to do to be able to, to, to be included in this inner circle, in this inner ring? It's kind of, a, kind of an obsession, you know. Um, you think about it during the daytime. You think about it in the, the nighttime. I just love uh, how songs, love songs, kind of take us into this world. But, and I suppose that's the way it should be. You know, if you love somebody, you really want to be with them. You think about them a lot. And I, I love the, the Nora Jones song, What Am I to You? I, I like Nora Jones's music. And uh, it's basically a, a, a declaration of, of her obsession for a relationship with a young man. I mean, this guy is her sun and moon. And I want to read to you some of the lyrics from this song. What am I to you? Tell me, darling, true. To me, you are the sea, vast as you can be, and deep the shade of blue. When you're feeling low, to whom else do you go? See, I cry if you heard. I'd give you my last shirt because I love you so. But if my sky should fall, would you even call? You've opened up my heart. I never want to part. I'm giving you the ball. Bad lyric right there. But it's still a good song. When I look into your eyes, I feel the butterflies. I love you when you're blue. Tell me, darling, what am I to you? Feel any heart desire in that? Feel any heart obsession with a person Think she thinks about that at the traffic light? Well, as strange as it might sound, worship is kind of like that. King David in Psalm 34 wants us to have worship as an obsession, as something that is deeply attached to our hearts, something that we desperately need and, and, and want and, and therefore bubbles out of our hearts because it really is where our hearts are, becoming a, a deeper obsession than, than the passing infatuations that we have with, with other things that will never last, and yet this one will. It's a psalm of David, and David shows us one of the great keys to how worship and our hearts go together, and, and that leads to something just wonderful in our lives. Um, here's the sentence. We praise God more fully when we need Him more desperately. Let me say that again. We praise God more fully when we need Him more desperately. That's what's going on in Psalm 34. The first notion here is this this idea of, of, of we praise God. Man, this psalm is just so high and exalted. It's all about the glory and, and the loftiness of God as we get started. Psalm 34 is, is not just about worship. It's about why we worship. It's not just something we do. It's something we want to do. 
It's something that is, is a part of our lives. And the, and the amazing characteristic of worship here in Psalm 34, because, you know, we've been going, if you're visiting, we've been going through the book one of the Psalms. The, the word Psalms means the praises. This whole collection of poetry is the praises. It's the worship manual of Israel, if you will. But what is so amazing about Psalm 34 and, and what David is teaching us today is just how woven into the fabric of of his life, you see, is worship. It's not just something that he goes to do. It's not just something that he acknowledges. It's, it's very woven into the fabric. Let's look at our text, verse 1, and think about how woven this is, how much a part of his life, I will extol, meaning bless or praise, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always, will continually be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I will praise or bless or extol the Lord at all times. See, for, for David, worship is about who he is. Before it is about what he does. There's a reason that David has a kind of continu continualness about worship. The reason worship can show up at any time in David's life is because it's a part of David's life at all times. That there's a deep relationship with God. And we'll kind of get to what deepens that, that, that desire for worship in a moment. Because he really helps us. His praise will continually be on my lips. The Hebrew literally means, out of the heart I will speak. That, that, there, there is this organic sense. I, I just love God with my heart and I can't contain it. I'm going to talk about it. I'll praise Him all the time, at any time, continually, my heart will speak. And then verse 2, my soul boasts in the Lord. And I, I don't want to look at the boasting so much. You can see just the, 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 the supremacy of God for David. It is this word soul that is so important uh, in the sense of his life because the word soul here in Hebrew means my life. It means the totality of who I am. And, and so what, what David is saying is, is this is an obsession for me. I continually worship God with everything I am. My whole life is brought to God and worship consumes me to where this is something that I do because my heart will speak, you see. David takes us to the next logical step then and we're not surprised uh, and we're not surprised because we do the same thing. You know, David's ex experienced the, the wonder of God and and the beauty of worship, and worship is going to, David realizes worship blesses him as well as, you know, gives blessing and praise to God. And so, you know, when you try out a new restaurant and you're just blown away at it, just like David's blown away with God, you say, what do you say? You gotta go! You gotta go! And you gotta try the, the so-and-so on the menu, you know? I mean, you can just take this on out into different dimensions of our life when there's an experience and when it touches our hearts and we touch it and it has that, that, that feel of something that is meaningful, we then try to get other people to do it. And that's where David is. It's out of his heart. It's continual. It's his whole soul. And, and then we read these words, come and magnify the Lord, that is, call him great with me. 
let us exalt his name, that is to lift his name above every name, let us exalt his name together. This is a part of my life. This is so wonderful. Come on. Do this with me. There is blessing here. And, and it's so interesting to me. You know, there's so many thoughts on worship. And in the Bible, most discussions of worship have to do with a corporate setting of worship. But in this case, it certainly is the individual. It certainly is. I will exalt the, extol the Lord. I will. I mean, this literally is about an intimacy that David has with God and how meaningful this is. But even though this is intensely individual and in, in, in his life in worship, isn't it fascinating that at the end of the day, it can never stay there? It has to become corporate. Come on. Let us exalt his name together. One scholar states, if you've ever stood alone at the rim of the Grand Canyon admiring the spectacular view and a stranger walks up, what happens? This is a great illustration. How many of y'all been to the Grand Canyon? Raise your hand or seen the Grand Canyon. Okay. All right. How many of you seen pictures of the Grand Canyon? Okay. So you, you got it. All right. All right. So I don't have to describe the Grand Canyon to you. I couldn't describe the Grand Canyon. Okay. So you go up and you're standing alone at the rim of the Grand Canyon and this thing is enormous. It is so huge, it's blowing all your circuits. And somebody walks up, somebody from California, and they have a California license plate. And you are from Mississippi. You wouldn't normally talk to them. Maybe, maybe you would, I don't know. But uh, why is it that at that moment, or the scenic overlook in the, in the Smoky Mountains, why is it you say, it's beautiful, isn't it? What is it that, that makes people talk like that? Well, I love what this particular scholar says, he says, why is it? We say, isn't this amazing? Why? Because praise is meant to be shared. And if the praise of a, of a glorious hole in the earth cannot be contained and must be shared, how much more praise of the God who made the hole <laughs> and is so much infinitely greater and more glorious than the Grand Canyon? David gets this, and, there, and there's an excitement that he has about his life and God that he is inviting us into. Now, I don't know what you think about worship this morning. You know, different people came into this sanctuary with different ideas uh, of worship this morning. Um, some people, frankly, in their heart of hearts, have experienced what worship is kind of a sterile, rote thing that they just need to do because it's the right thing to do, especially downhill in the Bible Belt. This is what we do. We come to church because it's what we do. Well, hey, we'll take anybody for any reason. We, you, we do not have to require just wonderful biblical motives of people to come in the door. Man, I, you, let, let's take anybody for any reason. But I'm going to tell you something. David is not saying this is just what you do. It is true that God is worthy of worship, and he demands to be worshipped. And therefore, we ought to worship God. But that is not the thrust of Psalm 34 here at all. David is amazed at God, and he is calling us, he is calling us to, to an awe, a personal awe of a mighty God who actually exists, who is there, who is intervening in history and, and, and overall, and who desperately loves his people that we have a relationship with. And so 
So to be, it, worship is much more exciting than just something we do. A lot of it depends on how you see God. David McInnes says today, people view God at best as a retired chairman of the board. Isn't that an interesting analogy of God? I want to say that again. Some people view God at best as a retired chairman of the board. In other words, he's not really relevant. He has a position of honor, but no power. He is to be saluted. He is to be memorialized. He is to be ritualized. But we are convinced he really can't or won't act in our lives. And that's why some people worship just the way they do. And that's why Psalm 34 is such a a dramatic and wonderful, beautiful call to a relational kind of worship. The God of the universe whose hand can never be stopped. Who relentlessly loves his people regardless. Who wants to be with us. So much that he sacrificed his own son. Took our sins upon him. Sins that we could not deal with on our own as sinners before a holy God. The sinless Lamb of God expunged, blotted out, sent away. So that we might have a relationship with him. So that we might have a worship relationship. Let me ask you this question. Are you a worshiper? Are you a worshiper? I didn't ask you, do you worship? The question is, are you a worshiper? What are you obsessed with this morning? So first is, we praise God. Remember our sentence? We praise God more fully when we need him more desperately. And so David is going to help us now to get a handle on that heart connection with God that leads to to this kind of of beautiful uh, personal worship, um, a more of a lifestyle of praising God. You know, basically what it's saying is is that we, we, we are more apt to praise God when we've gone through a difficult valley, when we've had tremendous need, and we've touched His faithfulness there. That there's a reality that God leads us to in affliction a reality that he leads us to in trouble and difficulty that actually becomes a part, more and more a part of the fabric of who we are and how we worship. That we actually found that he was there and we found that he was sufficient. You know, verse 2 begins with this idea, let the afflicted hear and rejoice. I mean, you're in this like high, exalt him, lift up his name, glorify him, extol him, and suddenly it's just right there, the salvo goes out and it basically takes over the whole psalm. Let the afflicted hear so that they might worship, may rejoice. Now, if you think about what the deepest levels of our need are, the things that scare us the most, this passage addresses those things in verses 4, 5, and 6. If you look at the text, it addresses fear, it addresses shame, and it addresses troubles. Fear, verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me. And he delivered me out of my fears. So we have David, stole God, worshiping with me. He's so great. This is is wonderful. And then he says, look, I sought the Lord. 
and he answered me, and he took away all my fears. He is trustworthy. I've had this experience with God. I know that he is a God of grace and a personal God. Verse 5, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. In verse 6, this poor man called, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. I mean, that's a long way from extol, exalt. This poor man called, cried out. Literally means like a little child. Like a little child having a nightmare, crying out for their mom and daddy. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and delivered him out of all his troubles. You know, we should praise God not only because he's worthy, but because he's there. And because he, he loves his people. And because we have found him to be faithful. And you know what? If you have put your trust in Jesus and you've walked with God for any length of time, I want to tell you, he has been faithful to you. Isn't it interesting, the, the, the current thing we're going through, the human default setting is basically to say, I don't know if he's going to come through this time. You know, this is scary. This is so scary. This is so real. This is 110%. I'm not sure he's going to come through this time. But, you know, if we were able to come off of that kind of, you know, that, that exponential emotion, shock, shocking emotion, and, and, we, and say, okay, what has he done? We would see that we have touched the faithfulness of God. And the deep and scary needs of our lives are the very things that probe the faithfulness of God and lead us to a deeper understanding of who he is to us. Isn't that a wonderful thing? One of the most memorable moments of 24 years of ministry for me was in the home of a young couple that had gone through probably the hardest, one of the very hardest things you could ever go through, ever. Heart-rending, world-shaking, Shattering. And I will never forget Gina and I sitting on a sofa trying to figure out what to say. You know, pointing to the Lord. And I will never forget that young husband asking me, can, can I play a song for you? I said, sure. And right there on his home stereo, is that what we call those? It used to be a hi-fi. Home stereo. He played... I will praise you in the storm by casting crowns. But folks, I watched while this young couple looked straight ahead and mouthed the words of that song because they didn't have anything else to hold on to. And I touched something through that. Verse 5. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. You know, David says, this is real. And, 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 it's, and, it's, and it's what God wants to do in our lives. You know, if we look to, to God rather than other people, our, our faces will become more radiant. And here's the reason why. Because our life will become more energized by His grace. You know, this world is a grind that just takes the energy out of us in so many different ways, is it not? And when we look to other things, they suck us dry because they're never enough. 
And you always have to go for more. And anything that we might be obsessed with other than God himself and his provision, his kingdom and his righteousness, him providing, quote, all these things, anything else will absolutely grind us down and lead to shame, a feeling of shame because it will strip the beauty of our humanity before God absolutely bare. It will strip mine that beauty that needs to be restored by, by looking to God and the wholeness that comes from redeemed humanity and this relationship that when we look to God, our faces are radiant. God's grace is shown to us and there is a positive kind of overcoming energy that is at work. And look, that may not be just like that. Please understand, week by week, as I talk about what God might do or this, that, I am never assuming that it's all just like that. If you think it's just like that, it's because we live in an instant culture and that's what you're used to hearing. I'm not telling you that right now. I'm talking about God himself working in our lives because we're trusting him and we're looking to him. And when we touch that faithfulness, that he changes us and we begin to worship him much more personally and powerfully than we ever did before. Okay, here's a little side truth. No one else can finally be responsible for your spiritual and emotional well-being but you and God. It goes with what we're saying about faces being radiant or being ground down. And here's the reason why is that the only person, if you know Jesus, you have a relationship with the living God by the only sacrifice that appeases the wrath of the holy God, that is the only person inside of you that sees just what you see and sees more. That's the only place you have to go. Anybody in the outside really doesn't understand it, and they certainly don't have the power to make the internal change that's going to actually change your life in ways that will last and be meaningful. Only God. If you're waiting on somebody to like really make your life, and if that's where your face is looking for, you are not going to be radiant because they will never be able to do it. If you're waiting for something or inclusion in some group to be the answer that flips the switch, that makes everything great for you, you are fooling yourself. Those who look to God are radiant, and their faces will never they will never be put to shame. We praise God more fully when we need Him more desperately. Now, even in the introduction to this psalm, if you notice in the text there's a little introduction there, I am not going to explain that introduction because I'm chicken too, okay? I'm just going to go ahead and tell you right now. I don't want to get into that, but I will tell you this, that I'll explain this much, that this psalm was written as a result, as a thinking about a deliverance of God in David's life. At this time, he was young. He was running from Saul. Saul, the king of Israel, wanted to kill him. And do you know where he ran? He ran to the Gaza Strip. He, he ran down there to the co coastal plains. That was for all of y'all in my biblical geography class. He ran down to the coastal plains where the Philistines were. He ran to the city of Gath to get away from Saul. Now, can anybody remember who was from Gath? Okay, Goliath. David killed the most 
notorious citizen of Gath. And what you don't know is, while he was running from Saul and on the way to Gath, he was in another little city. He met with a priest. And do you know what the priest gave him that he hadn't seen since he was 12 or so years old? The sword that he killed Goliath. So David, literally running from Saul, goes into Gath with this enormous sword that killed, and those people went berserk down there in Gath. Is this not David? Is this not the person that killed our Goliath? Is this not the person, that, you know, Saul's killed his thousands? You read about this in 1 Samuel. I'm just quoting it to you now. Saul's killed his, or has his thousands and David his ten thousands. Well, again, I won't go into all the details, but basically what happens here is David is looking back on how God delivered him. David has a track record of needing God and turning to God and touching the faithfulness of God in those moments. And that is why he's able more to praise the Lord at all times, etc. That is why this is more of a lifestyle thing. And, and years after his escape from Saul, years after his escape from Abimelech, who was the king of, of Gath, he is now, as he looks back on this, he is sitting on a throne in, in Jerusalem. You know, he is, he is king. He is the power. But do you see in verse 6 what he calls himself? He says this. This poor man. This poor man called and the Lord heard him and he saved him out of all his troubles. And Jesus would later put it this way. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are humble. Blessed are those who realize their utter need of God. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, you see. A big part of true worship is predicated on need. Folks, our need is not in question. You don't have to go trump up some need. We are sinners living in a fallen world. We are blowing it left and right. We are living in a, in a, in a world that hurts us, among people that hurt us, etc., etc., and there is no need to try to manufacture need. The question is, needy sinners... Me and you, where are you going to go in your need? Will you trust God and touch the faithfulness of God? And I want you to know that he is there. There are some people here today going through horrendous things in, in your life, and you are that person. You say, I know God's done in the past, but I just don't know if it's going to work this time. In my dark hours, I, I begin to doubt, and I'm filled with fear. Well, I want you to know, if you've put your trust in Jesus, you are heard. You are heard, and you are loved, and God has not fumbled you. Because this person that we refer to as the son of David, who doesn't sit on a throne in Jerusalem, but sits on the throne of God Almighty, the final David, not this David, he was sent from heaven by God, and he did make substitution to bring us into this relationship with God. Whatever you are going through, he will hear you. This poor man called out and the Lord heard him. Maybe you're the poor woman. Maybe I need to challenge you to pray today. Maybe you need to start your prayer with these words. Lord, this poor woman is calling to you. This poor man, me, is calling to you. Do you hear me? I know you do. He is there. Emmanuel, God with us. Do you need him today? If so, 
call out to him. We praise God more fully when we need God more desperately. And then lastly, we see that it's, it's not just the praise that comes from a deep experience of need and the faithfulness, but that's there. But, but you know what? There, there also is an experience of the goodness of God just in walking with the Lord and in, in living a life of praise. God is, quote, blessed. You know, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. But we also are blessed when we walk with Him and worship Him. Uh, if you'll look at verses 6, 7, and 8 real quick, uh, we can experience security. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers him. Maybe this should be a whole sermon on the fear of the Lord. But, um, you know, as we walk with the Lord, there is a kind of security. You can know that God Almighty himself is with you. And who can be against you? So we, we experience security. Verse 8, we can taste the goodness of the Lord This would be great before communion, but we're not having communion today. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who trusts in him. David is saying again, you can taste this, and we can feel the fullness of it as well. Look at verse 9. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions, the mighty, these mighty creatures, they lack, they grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack nothing. Do you believe that this morning in worship of Yahweh God that we worship through the Son of David? We praise God more fully when we need Him more desperately. May I end with this question? Has He not been faithful I know you've gone through disappointments, and so have I. I know that many of you right now are in that place. But as you look back on the track record of God over your entire Christian life, if you walked with Him for any amount of time, has He not been faithful? Touch it. Touch that faithfulness from your past. Trust God. This poor man called out to the Lord and he heard. And touch again the faithfulness of God over time. And see what that does to you as a worshiper. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are who you are. By virtue of your glory, your majesty, you do demand worship. You are worthy of worship. But Lord, thank you that it's not just a command. It's something that we want to give you because indeed you are the glorious one, but you are also the faithful one. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are struggling at this time in their lives, Lord, that you would cause them to turn to you, turn away from things will grind them down, turn to you that they might be radiant, call out to you that there might be help and strength and deliverance. Lord, would you cause us to touch your faithfulness that we might become more a worshiper. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.